So I'm excited about this particular text because it's powerful. It's, it's an amazing um, teaching. It's an amazing word that Jesus gives us. I mean, you see it. It's sporting events on the sign, 316, John 316. And many people have relied on this for faith. But we enter through this text, I mean, as, as Jules mentioned, he's right, that this, Jesus is not just, you know, one day kind of spouting off these things. He's actually in a conversation with Nicodemus, who is a, who's a leader of the Pharisees. He's a religious leader. And Jesus, I mean, he even talks about it. He's, or John calls him a teacher to Israel. So he's coming to Jesus, trying to find out, Jesus, who are you exactly? And he says, you know, it's obvious that, you, that you've come from God, but but I want to find out more about you. And he has this conversation with Jesus about being born again, and, and Nicodemus doesn't get it, and, and Jesus keeps talking with him. And then he comes to this part here where he says that God so loved the world that he gave his, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would have life, or actually would not, would not be destroyed or not perish, but have life. And, I, and maybe I'm making too much of this. Well, I don't know if you can make too much of this ber- verse, but starting to look at it is the way, this is sort of like the head sentence of, of what he says next. It's, so we kind of unpack this, this phrase of, of that God so loved the world. So I'm thinking about this. You know, I've been working on this, working through this text, just this particular verse this week, and, and you know, the fact that God so loved the world, that he cherished the world, that he chose the world, that he faithfully, again and again, loved. So I want to focus on this word love here for a minute, that God loves. I want to ask you, like, how does this fit with your view of God? So I wish more people, maybe some of you, but especially people outside of our church, I wish they could hear this part, that God so loved seems like people have this different idea about God. They have this different idea that, that God is this angry cop in the sky or this alcoholic father that you never know what's going to set him off. You know, maybe part of that is, is our fault as a church. Maybe because of the ways that we talk about God or the ways that we portray God to people. You know, that sometimes people and their, their, their desire to help people know Jesus, they focus on the do's and don'ts. This is how you're supposed to live, and that's not how you're supposed to live, and, and sometimes that's all people hear. And so they get this picture of God of, of, that's different, that doesn't really include the love part. Well, John's telling us that Jesus came because God loved the world. And he uses this word, agape. Many of you probably heard you know, tons of conversation about four different loves or five different loves in Greek. And, and agapao, which was like the verb to love, is probably the closest thing they had in Greek to the Jewish word of hesed, of God's hesed love, his faithful, steadfast love. That God kept loving even when people weren't very lovely. That God kept choosing. He kept choosing people. And Jesus says, actually, he's actually thrown open the doors here and he's chosen the whole world, loving the whole world with this faithful hesed or agape love. That God so loved the world but then you think the second part of that is God loved the world? And I start thinking about the first thing that occurs to me is that says a lot more about God than it does about the world. It says a lot more about God's character and who he is. Because this place is broken and it doesn't work the way it's supposed to anymore. But it's interesting to me as I talk with people 
is fascinating, actually, as I talk with people, especially people outside of the church, who actually think the world's not that bad. Or maybe, maybe the world's bad, but they're not that bad. And it's, I, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. You know, people who say, you know, who talk about heaven and those things, I, you know, most of Canada has unfortunately moved beyond Christianity. Like they've sort of left it behind. I think it's, it's something old and irrelevant anymore. But as people have moved on, one of the things that's surprising they've kept, well, maybe not so surprising, they've kept the idea of heaven. People love the idea that when they die, they go somewhere great, to some paradise. The thing is that most people associate heaven more with civil religion or, or being a decent person. That's what gets you into heaven, is being a decent person. But as I look at this world, I mean, there's some beautiful parts, don't get me wrong. We live in a beautiful part. Seeing you and knowing parts of your lives is beautiful. But things are broken here as well. You know, maybe things are getting worse, or maybe this is just the same old stuff. Things like greed. People taking more and more than they really need. And it's not about what they need anymore, it's just about taking. Or people who are focused on, on their selfish or proud. People you can't tell anything to. People who have to do it their own way all the time. They can't hear from God. They won't hear from God. They won't believe in anybody else. They won't allow their destiny or their life to be based on anything else than their own hard work. Or people who, who struggle with, with envy and anger, angry people, lust. These things still show to me that the world is still broken. It is still fallen. That the moment that Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, chose something other than God designed for them, everything began to fall apart. It's as if the path, the two paths of God and the world went in different directions at that point. Though God still loved the world. So that's the surprising part to me. When I think about that God loves this world, not because this world is lovely so much, but because God is loving beyond what we can even understand. God so loved the world, he cherished the world, despite the brokenness despite the things, the ways that we still rebel against him. Even those of us who, who believe in him, who trust our lives to him, we still mess things up. And we still sometimes choose not to follow him. God still loves. But he loves so much. And you know what? It gets even better than that. He loves so much that he gave his only begotten son. Now this word gave, I mean, it's interesting to me because I hear more and kind of reading other scholars that he gave once and for all. He didn't give for a time. He gave once and for all. The Christ, that Jesus, him, his incarnation, the fact that he came, that he was born, that he lived, and that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended to the right hand of God. All of these things coming together. This whole thing that Jesus has done is all part of God's plan for his salvation for us. It was in doing this that Jesus made the whole sacrificial system obsolete. Jesus is the Lamb of God. The one sacrifice. Everything is in him now. No longer do we rely on, on all the things that, that the Jewish people had to rely on to draw close to God. Now we draw close to God because of Jesus, through Jesus, and by him. John talks about he loves to call Jesus the Lamb of God. Now we think of lamb as this, this innocent creature and I think, that's, I think he's pointing to that. But also too, lamb in, in, in Jewish culture, that was, 
Many people think of like the lamb of the, the atonement, the day of atonement, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb who takes away the sin. Jesus is this lamb once and for all for us. But he gave his only begotten son. Now, who here knows what only begotten means? It's an interesting English word. What he's getting at here, what John is trying to convey to us, is that there is something special about Jesus, something more than special about Jesus. That Jesus is the only Son, the only begotten. Now, it's important for us to understand this. Begotten means that Jesus was not made, He was not created, He was not born. He is. When he talks with the people of Israel throughout John's gospel, people ask who he is, and he says, I, I am using the same words that, that God uses when he gave his name to Moses. Saying, not that I, that I became, but I am, I always have been. We think about the beginning of John's gospel when he says, the word became flesh, or sorry, um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with us. Or sorry, the word was with God. <laughs> the word was with God, and the word was God. In the very beginning. See, now this is interesting, or this is important for us because We live in a time much like the first church where people teach different ideas about Jesus. Maybe some of you have friends who come from other sort of, somewhat, they seem like Christian religions where they talk about Jesus as as a great, as a creative person, a great teacher. Maybe even the greatest teacher. And that he was was a good man who became almost godlike. Well, the, the early church worked through this a lot. For centuries they talked about this. It kept telling people that if Jesus is just a really good man, then we are still dead in our sin. But, if he is God from God, if he is light from light, truly God from truly God, begotten and not made, and of the same essence as the Father, if this is true, then he is the way to eternal life. If he is more than a man, if he is God the Son, fully human and fully God, then we are saved then we have hope and new life in him. But it's also clear, I think Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, he wants to be clear of why he came. He said, I did not come to condemn, but that I might save the world. And again, people think like, well, really, what does the world need saving from? And I start thinking about this world and some of the things that we need saving from. It's interesting, as people talk about, or they, as they think about this world, and it's funny how people sort of seem like almost, like Jesus came and he started dividing people off. You know, you're good, you're bad, you're sheep, you're goat, wheat, chaff. And I think there's some, I mean, Jesus says those things, so there's some element to that. But reading John, I also realized that maybe we're looking at this, maybe we're not seeing the whole picture in that, this world has already been condemned. That this world is already like a prison. I was reading, I was listening, or actually reading Stan Grintz and his book on theology for the community of God. And he talks about this idea that Jesus came to save. And it's, it's like this idea that this world is already like a prison. And he came and he threw the door open and all we have to do is walk out. Believe into him and walk out. That Jesus has come to set us free from the prison of our heart. The prisons that surround our heart. Loneliness. Alienation. 
frustration and anger, relationships that have been broken for decades and, and will never seem to be fixed. He came to set us free from those prisons, prisons of the heart, to set us free from prisons of the mind, where we are constantly bombarded, telling us that the point of life is to be as successful as you can, regardless of the cost to your family or to your own health, to amass as much wealth and stuff as you can so that someday you can retire and then just spend it all on yourself. That's what our culture tells us. That's a prison of the mind. We were meant for more than that. I think about prisons of the soul. Talking about prisoners to sin. To the things that we regret. The things we're ashamed to even mention. The sin of our lives. The brokenness. The times when we've rebelled against God and we remember it. We've been set free from that prison. I think too about the prison of the body. Numerous people in our church and Nelson here have been, have been growing in their awareness and their concern for human trafficking. You don't think people are still prison in the body anymore? I think about 12-year-old girls who are forced into prostitution by no doing of their own. That is a prison of the body that Christ has come to set us free. This world is broken. And he's come to save us. I start hearing these words and I think about Jesus' first sermon in Nazareth. When he took the scroll of Isaiah and he opened up. He said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free the oppressed. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That takes on a whole new meaning when you start looking at the world like John is describing it. Like a prison that we are meant to be set free from. Jesus came. The, only, the begotten Son whom God has given us to set us free. John goes on to tell us Imagine this, it gets even better. He says that whoever believes into him will not perish, will have everlasting life. Let's just focus on that part, whoever. We are those whoever's. Whoever, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you came from or your ethnicity, whoever believes into him. You can imagine how this might sort of rub Nicodemus the wrong way. He's a Pharisee, leader of the Pharisees, teacher of Israel. In that time, when Jesus walked the earth, Pharisees and Gentiles, Pharisees and people like us were like oil and water. Because of their concern for holiness, they didn't even want to mix with Gentiles. It was okay if Gentiles followed their rules and became a part of them, but they wouldn't even eat with a Gentile with a foreigner, with an alien. And yet here Jesus says the whole door has been flown open. That whoever, whoever believes into him. This is the part too. He says whoever believes into him. This phrase that John uses throughout his gospel. I love this. It's this famous way that John talks about faith. Hopefully you've heard it a few times now. 
Hopefully you're beginning to think, Jesus, and we've, we've heard that believed into thing a few times. I'm hoping that you start to get this too. Believed into. I think John is getting at the Jewish idea of faith. That faith is not just mental assent, just not just mental agreement with premise, with a thought or an idea or philosophy, but it's a way of life as well. That the way we live matches up with what we believe. And when our life doesn't match what we profess, the ancients had a word for that. They called it hypocrisy. The way you live is what you believe. John is saying, believe into Jesus. Many people have translated this as, trust your life to him. And trust your whole life into Jesus. Commit your life to Jesus. That's a scary one for us. <laughs> Commit my life to anything but me? He's saying, believe into him. Jesus says, whoever believes into me, whoever trusts their life into me, whoever commits their life to me, will not be destroyed. Jesus talks about those, he says, he goes on to say, those who are believing will not be, will not be condemned. But those who are not believing, they are condemned already. I don't know about you guys, but in our culture, that's like, wow, Jesus, can you say that? That's hard. But I hear him talking about faith. The faith in him is the way out of death. Not just death when we die someday, but the slow death that we live, that so many people live even today, day by day. Jesus goes on to talk about this, that it's like this prison. I sense for us that, I mean, I've talked some about this prison idea, but also that, that we live in cages. Without Christ, we are living in a cage. The trouble is, we've lived in those cages our whole lives, and so people don't even see the bars anymore. This is the way they've been raised, the, the way they've been taught to think. They don't even see bars or sometimes people see this cage and they think to themselves, you know, this cage is nice. I worked really hard in this cage and it's got a lot of good stuff that makes me feel really comfortable. It's got a great place to live. Fancy toys. This cage isn't that bad. Or sometimes people are afraid of what's on the outside. I think about that movie, Shawshank Redemption. Well, the guys, they go out of, they, they're released on, on probation. And they, and they contemplate killing themselves. One actually does. Because this freedom is too much for them to bear. I think people like that still, I think people still struggle like that. With following Jesus. They're afraid of what it might mean. Of trusting their lives into someone. Even though it's the Son of God. Even though it's Christ. And some people, they just choose the cage. They choose a cage because they've learned to work within the, in the system of the prison. They're kingpins there. They're powerful and they don't want to give that up. Not even for life. That's why Jesus talks about it. He says that, he says that the, the light has come into the world, but people hate the light. Because of the dark things they do, they hate it. They avoid it because they're ashamed of what it reveals. 
They relish their sin. They love it. Why would I give this up? And they're ashamed. At the same time, why would I listen to anybody say the things that I'm going to do? Why would I listen to anybody who says that they are not right? That they aren't consistent with God's design? That they hurt people? That they hurt me? Why would I listen to that? And so they refuse to come into the light. Jesus said that whoever believes into him would not be destroyed. But it gets better. It gets even better. He says, whoever believes into me will not be destroyed, but have eternal life. Life more full and life that goes on forever. This word that Jesus uses here is zoe. The same word we get zoo. This zoe life. Some people have talked about how there's this connection in John. It seems like there's a connection between zoe and the kingdom of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk a lot about God's kingdom. John only mentions it twice, but he talks a lot about zoe, about life and life more full. See, Greek had two words for life. They had bios and zoe. Bios, we get our word biology from. Plants have bios. They exist. They take in carbon dioxide and they put out oxygen. They get through day by day. I think John's talking about zoe here on purpose on life more full on purpose. He's talking about more than just getting through the days. He's talking about more than just existing, just paying bills and trudging through. He's talking about life more full. Life that's transcendent. Life that seems to be somehow different or above the things, the struggles, despite what's happening. Life that's still full and rich. Life that's deeper. Life that is refused to live in the shallow ways that so many people are satisfied with or dissatisfied with, but just don't know how to get out of it. John's talking about life lived more deeply. Life lived with meaning. Meaning beyond ourselves and our tiny little stories, our tiny little fortunes, our tiny little empires that we build. But lives lived in the kingdom of God, a part of that kingdom. Something meaningful that, that changes people's lives, that transforms people. Not just now, but forever. When John starts talking about life and life more full, I think about joy despite the circumstances we face. Times of laughing and smiling even when it hurts. Even when we're miserable. Even when we don't even know what we're even doing. When we're frustrated or discouraged. And yet we still have those moments when we smile, even if it's just grateful that God has come to give us life. But it's also life more full in the sense of life lived more deeply with more compassion. That no longer are we able to just walk down the street and see people who are suffering and just walk by them. That our hearts break for the things that break the heart of God. Life lived more full. See, so many people, it seems like they just sort of have the surface, this a little bit of joy, not too much pain, and they're just muddling through life. John is talking about life more full, more joy, more compassion, more full. Jesus talks about this. 
John 10.10, 10, he says, The enemy has come to steal and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more full. But he says those who come, they, they actually live out this truth. He says they do the truth. It's, uh, I think, uh, one of John's ways of saying that they live out their faith. Their lives look like the faith they proclaim. Today we have a word for that. We call it integrity. That when we say we believe into Jesus, that our lives look like it. They look like it when it's hard, when it burns. Our lives look like when it's hard and nobody else would ever even know, when no one else would see. We still have integrity. We still live our faith. That's what he's talking about here. He says these people are flocking to the light. These people are flocking to the light because they're not ashamed because God is shining light on them. And people are realizing that this life, this doing the truth, this life that they're living, it's actually a work of God in their life. They're realizing that God is at work in them. So I think too, I think as I'm reading this, as I was working through this, it's, it's encouraging for me to see Nicodemus here talking with Jesus about this. Don't get me wrong, Nicodemus is pretty thick. When Jesus talks to him again about being born again from above, he, Nicodemus is like, how can a grown man, an old man, get back into his mother's womb? He just doesn't get it. But the fact is, he came in the darkness, in the dark of night, it says. He came at night seeking Jesus. He came asking. And I hear Jesus saying that those who are in the darkness, they don't want anything to do with the light. They, they hate it. But those who are doing good, those who are, who are, who are attracted to the light, God is showing them that, that God is at work in them. See, I think that Nicodemus found the light. It talks about in John's Gospel that it was Nicodemus who was there when Jesus died. It was when everyone else abandoned him, it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea that put Jesus in the tomb. I think he came to the light and he began to see. But I think Jesus, at this moment here, he's talking with Nicodemus and he says, keep coming. Those who come to the light, those who are doing the truth, they come to the light and they see that God has been at work in them. He's saying, keep coming. Keep asking the questions you have. Maybe there's some of you who can relate to Nicodemus. You're still unsure about Jesus, about following him, about faith in him. I hear him speaking to you too. Keep coming. Keep asking your questions. I want to show you not just life, but life more full. Jesus has come so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have life and life more full. Life more full forever. I pray that you hear God speaking to you this morning. Maybe you've heard this passage numerous times in your life. I pray that you hear God's spirit again, reminding you of how deep God's love is, his furious love for us, despite the brokenness of this world. That he gave once and for all his only begotten son. That whoever, regardless of where you come from or what you've done, whoever believes into him, whoever lives their life, whoever entrusts their life to him, will not be destroyed, but will have zoe will have life and life more full, life that goes on forever, that begins the moment you believe into him. I pray that you hear God speaking to this to you. 
We remain in the season of epiphany, of realizing again and again who Jesus is. And I pray these words reveal him. I pray they reveal him to you. I pray that they reveal to you also the heart of God. Amen.